and welcome to a special edition of the Purple Fury Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, my co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, why are we talking on a Thursday afternoon? Yeah, normally I get to go a week without seeing you and just recharge <laughs> the batteries. Uh, Parker, we are here because we didn't get enough realignment talk in our last episode. We wanted to talk to someone who is an expert. Uh, so we brought on perhaps the most well-connected, certainly someone who... Uh, has more sources and more interesting places than almost anyone else in the country. Uh, that'd be uh, Split Zone Duo's own Stephen Godfrey on the podcast today. Yeah, uh, re- really fun. We've been talking with Stephen a bunch about about TCO as a job, about um, you know TCO as a program, TCO as a job. Knowing that 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 Coach Patterson um, is on the the back half of his career, whatever that timeline looks like. Where does TCU land up in all this uh, shakedown? What what are possibilities? What are good things, bad things that could happen? So we chatted with Godfrey for just a quick little episode as a, as a bonus and wanted to drop that here. Make sure you subscribe to the Purple Theory newsletter, purplefury.substack.com. And uh, we'll be continuing our regularly scheduled uh, previews next week uh, as we kind of roll into the season. Stephen Godfrey from Split Zone Duo and a bunch of other places on the internet is joining us today to talk about uh, realignment. Uh, Godfrey, thanks for being on, man. Thanks for having me. Um, what a what a day, what a week. Uh, I think the biggest question that all of us have are just um, asking, what the hell is going on? Uh, you know, we're seeing rumors that uh, Oklahoma, Texas could play in the SEC as soon as next year. We could see that, you know, the AAC is looking to uh, gather uh, or, or, or add, you know, up to eight teams, ESPN and Bob Bolsby are, are feuding. Uh, what the hell is going on, Godfrey? God, if I knew, man, it would be a much better <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah, so we're kind of at the um, hysteria phase of this whole thing. And I think we're probably going to stay like that for at least another couple weeks because there are certain things that I think are going to happen but haven't happened yet. And it's just going to be kind of a mess. Um, I mean, there is these sort of these group you know, TCU is one of eight schools that is scorned, left behind. We called them the husk on our show, like, you know, whatever, you, whatever however you want to describe it. Um, and I think their future and their vantage point in this is entirely unique for obvious reasons. Um, I think most of this news is being met with sort of a flippancy in the Southeast. Um, and then, you know, you have the Texas A&M reaction, but I kind of talked about that on my show a little bit about how I think a lot of that's contrived. Um in the immediate future, I think I, I think what TCU and every other member, every other, uh, I guess, remaining member, we're, we're going to call them, uh, has to figure out is what's best for them. And then who do you align? Who do you align with, if anyone? Is there a school in the husk remaining that you think is in a better position than any of the other schools? I mean, obviously, you probably don't want to be Kansas State or whoever, but who's kind of you know kind of in the in the best seat of the remaining eight? Um, you know, it's, if I look at the eight, um, the rural schools, uh, you, you immediately discount based on what we think we know on the evaluation metrics. So um, right off the top of my head, K-State, OSU, Iowa State, uh, Texas Tech, and then probably Kansas goes in there. I think Kansas's potential relationship with the Big uh, Ten is interesting. And so then you kind of go down into Texas. What does that leave us? It leaves, it leaves Baylor, which is sort of an interesting entity for a lot of different reasons. Um, I, you know, they're not rural, but I don't think Baylor would lay claim to a Metro DMA either. Um, then you have TCU. Um, who did I leave out? Uh, West Virginia, but West Virginia, of course, of yeah. course. 
which is a problem. Um, and then, you know, I, I think West Virginia for a long time is really, you know, we said this on our show a lot. Publicly, they're never going to say anything that negative about their situation in the Big 12. Privately, yeah, they'll, they'll definitely blow off some steam and tell you that it's really, really frustrating. Um, I say this all the time. I think I've looked it up a million times on Google Maps. They're 1,006 miles from Lawrence. That's the school nearest to them. That's insane. Um, it, this is probably, as long as they can find Safe Harbor somewhere, which is not guaranteed, I think West Virginia would just kind of shrug at all this anyway. And I think for what they want to be doing, um, it makes more sense for them to be with, like, you know, uh, the, the two Virginia schools. I, I, they're very happy to have Virginia Tech back on the schedule. Pitt, obviously, that's their natural rival, is very close to them. Um, and then based on the recruiting patterns, like for Neil Brown, it makes sense for them to be in Kentucky and recruiting and playing Louisville and that kind of stuff. So uh, they're the ones provided they could get with that group where it just it fits in perfectly. Um, so the longest winded way to answer your question, those who I feel are most lost and probably most anxious at this moment are the non-metropolitan traditional footprint Big 12 schools. You know, those ag schools up in the I think y'all call it the Great Plains. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and about West Virginia our funnily enough, our, our West Virginia season preview, we, we filmed or recorded last night and we were talking about how West Virginia would probably like to be able to play their regional rivals without having to play 11 power five games a year and have, you know, Maryland and um, Penn state or Pitt and Penn state on the same schedule. So I'm absolutely sure happy to land somewhere. Um, okay. Let's dial into TCU uh, specifically because uh, you and I have talked a little bit uh, Godfrey about, you know, TCU being in the Metroplex, there is kind of this looming timeline horizon. We don't know the exact time, but the Patterson era is going to end presumably mm-hmm. sooner rather than later. So um, realignment, of course, casts a pall here. How is TCU in your mind situated as a program, as an attractive candidate? We are worried that we are destined to hire Justin Fuentes when he flames out at Virginia Tech. Um, <laughs> what do you think about, about TCU in the Metroplex as an attractive program post Patterson, whenever that era is. I think this incentivizes Gary to stay with it for a little while longer. And I think he was going to anyway. I don't think that he was going to look at 2021 or 22 as a swan song necessarily. I obviously, I don't think it's news to anybody that he's on the back end. Um, You know, it's funny, like no, no rival coach in the big 12 that I've spoken with will cast anything on Gary that you should be worried about. They're never saying stuff like they've fallen off or it's not the same or, you know, that he's lost a particular, you know, he doesn't understand how to recruit. It's not that kind of stuff that you normally see with long tenured head coaches, like a Frank Beamer type of situation. That's the good news. The bad news obviously is they just haven't developed offensive skill positions the way they should have the last couple of years. And then honestly, they just aren't playing I mean, look, they just haven't had the luck at those positions that put them in, you know, put them at the top of the conference a couple of years back. So that's not an insurmountable task. You just have to recruit and develop better. And I think, you know, obviously they're, they're, um, they're trying to do that. They have a good staff. They're well-respected. So all this is to say that like, probably don't have to worry through the cycle of this realignment. Now, what happens after this is just going to be determined by that realignment. So if Gary retires, before we talk about what conference TCU is in, I would be more curious to say, like, well, what kind of involvement is Gary going to have? You know, famously, Gary was was a, a favored son. You know, the, the people at TCU absolutely loved him when he was a coordinator. And, you know, that's how he ended up getting the job. And 
he's going to retire as basically the architect of this program. Um, is he going to have say on the next person they hire? That's my biggest question from the outside. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think Gary will have some say, especially with sort of a young, inexperienced athletic director at the helm, not to necessarily say bad things about Jeremiah Donati, but I think Gary's too much sort of a lion, uh, you know, on campus to, to just kind of let mm-hmm. him fade away without any input. Right, exactly. And I think those, I think that those are the factors I would look at first. And then I would figure out, okay, well, what, you know, are we in, are we in whatever the 2025 version of the Big East, you know, whatever we're calling that. Um, the good news is this, even when they were in the Big East for a hot minute, even when they were a Mountain West team or a Conference USA team, they were always thought of as an, an, uh, an uh, aspirant team, I guess. That's probably not the best writing on the fly there, but uh, a team with a lot of ambition, a program with a lot of ambition, and obviously well-situated, that's not going to change. This is why I think if there is a Texas expansion in the Pac-12 that I think the I honestly think the logical candidates for a Pac-12 expansion into the state of Texas are Houston and TCU. Um, they're in obvious. They sit directly in the two metro areas and the two largest cities, and you know they're they're obviously further along in terms of size, budget, facilities, et cetera, than than someone like a UTSA for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, I don't think, you know, TCU would have anything to worry about in terms of like SMU leapfrogging them. I think that would be silly. Um, so to me, they're like the number one candidate for Texas expansion. And then Houston is the number two candidate. Um, and I think they would fit well in that regard. Now, my, you know, my question is this. What are we doing here individually? Why are we all just jumping on lifeboats again? Because there's less and less what we perceive to be lifeboats. And so what I'm trying to get at is if you're a TCU fan, you've lived all these lives. TCU is a very unique fan base to me because if you've been paying attention to them and you're like probably 30 or older, you remember like at least two or three of these conferences that I've just named off, right? Like you can remember playing everyone from Louisiana Tech to Hawaii to Boise to Wyoming to, you know, you name it. Like there is something to be said if there is a remainders group where you do put TCU and, and the, you know, the husk of eight largely and some other Texas schools together, because I, I don't know what the cutoff is going to be. I don't know how far reaching this thing is going to be. So I think we're going to start asking each other about well, what is the quality of life for this university versus like, should we just jump to the Pac-12? Because West Virginia can tell you that that is a harder life than people realize. I don't know if, I, I don't know if TCU fans would love that after a while. Like, when you have four or five road games that are all, you know, very long flights to, to, uh, you know, two time zones away. Yeah. And that's, um, that's something specifically I've talked with, with coach P about is, you know, we really don't like going backwards is, is what he's saying. We don't like going back in time. That's just really hard on travel. Um, I think we're, we're all kind of rooting for the PAC 12. I think there's a world where, you know, maybe it's, Houston, TCU, uh, Tech, and Oklahoma State or something crazy. I don't know what's going to happen there, but I'm also kind of resigned to, you know what, if TCU ends up in the American, they will really not be any worse off than they are on a national scale. Now, of course, money is an issue and everything, but um, we've talked a little bit about kind of this being a prisoner's dilemma. You know, is, is 
West Virginia going to kind of bolt and defect and try and go to the ACC? I know Kansas and Iowa State are talking to the Big Ten. Um, how much kind of camaraderie, solidarity, you mentioned lifeboats, uh, do you think there is among athletic directors in the Big 12? Or is this kind of, I'm waiting for my my gap and then I'm going to shoot it as soon as it comes up? Oh, no. I, yeah, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any actual camaraderie in terms of those eight teams, nor should there be. Yeah. I mean, what's good for Oklahoma State is not going to be good for West Virginia. It's not even going to be good for K-State. I mean, the reality, that, that's just the brutal reality. I mean, when you talk about the Big Ten involvement, which I will believe, I'll believe it right when it happens, like literally when the league announces it, because you don't answer Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC with Iowa State and, and Kansas to the Big Ten. That's not a re- – you're not returning serve there with, with those two institutions. Right. And they're specifically the reason I'm naming those two is they're AAU schools. So um, I, I, I have a hard time believing that Kansas might work in, in a particular circumstance. I know they have a little bit more of an eye towards basketball and in, in terms of a like how they make their decisions in the big 10, whereas in the SEC and the big 12, it's pretty much just football is the order of the day and always will be. Um I think it has to be every every school for themselves because I don't know if there's enough shared interest unless you just have I mean reforming the Southwest Conference minus you know Texas and OU if you could do that and we really only have I mean how many how many power conferences are we going to have is my question mm-hmm. you know what are we how are we how are we what language are we using here I would just work backwards because this is how coaches talk to me they don't view it as this is a power five job, Well, they, well, they do now, but back then they didn't. It, it was for, so for instance, when the big East was still relevant and had the BCS connection, those jobs like South Florida were thought of as like, Oh, I can go there and win and like go to the BCS. Right. Mm-hmm. If playoff eligibility expands, what is the rubric for making the playoff? Okay, I definitely think they're going to have to blow up the initial models because we're not going to have five power conference champions. Right. Okay, so how are you getting to the playoff is the first question. Then let's work backwards from there. It's a it's possible that it could be more like basketball in that Gonzaga can lead a very healthy life in the uh, in the whack or whatever the hell it is. West Coast Conference, maybe. Um, and still go into the tournament. Now, granted, the tournament's 68 teams is a little different, but if you can lead a life at the top of something like a reformed American or a, 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 you know, a big 12 that absorbs some of the American schools, or I don't know, something like that. Well, if you could, if there's a chance to make the playoff every year, a legitimate one, not, not a fake one, a legitimate one, then I would say stay put schedule. You know, you have skillet every year. If you're TCU, and then play games against Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, et cetera, et cetera, and then build up your playoff resume by you know scheduling aggressively out of conference. If that's if that's a realistic goal, it has to be a realistic goal. You know, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. playoff. What I'm scared of for someone like TCU is there's no way to project all this because the playoff committee. First off, they haven't officially said they're going to 12, even though we know they are. Mm-hmm. How they determine who's play? I mean, is it really going to be? a 12 team playoff and five or six potential schools from the same conference. That would be insane. It would, but it's going to be, I mean, they did not expand um, the playoff to give coastal Carolina a path to the championship. No, like, Lord, they're no, not putting Lord, Liberty in yeah. at large. That's not happening. No. Um, no. So, and, so, yeah. if we're, if we're, you know, if we're in a situation where TCU is at the top of the other seat, that's, that's, 
not the greatest situation to be in. That's that's basically like the, the plight of Boise or Central Florida. You don't want that either. Which you is realistically have- the plight of TCU right now. You know, you think about 2011, they were in the Mountain West, two losses, got left out of the BCS. They become a power conference. 2015, get left out of the BCS with two losses. 2017, they go and play Oklahoma again in the Big 12 Championship, lose to Oklahoma again, get no new information, and, and are left out of the, the BCS or the New Year's Six. Right. So there is kind of some systematic, informal uh, exclusion of TCU regardless. And so I do I do think there is, you know, uh, the American plus, you know, scheduling a couple big, big games wouldn't be the end of the world. But um Gut, gut feeling, uh, Godfrey, do you, you know, not asking to prognosticate or holding this to you, do you think it's more likely that uh, TCU and, and a couple of Texas schools end up in the Pac-12 or we get the uh, American Athletic Plus? Ooh, man, if I had to pick one right now, gosh. Um, I'm going to lean Pac-12 right now only because I'm I'm – really interested in how we in the media run out some of these leads on ESPN and their alleged tampering involvement via the American. And I'm curious if the American comes out with a plus four big 12 plus five big 12 membership, all of a sudden it's going to look like there was legitimacy to that. So maybe, I don't know, maybe this gives the pac 12 a little bit more leverage. So I don't feel great about either one right now. Because neither feels that all that particularly advantageous to me. If I'm the Pac-12, I have some pretty serious concerns about how we're forming this thing up. And then, you know, how you're developed. Like, that is just a lot of square area when you look at a map. And coaches are going to hate that. Like, if you could put TCU in a situation where they were just like, if it was much more division-centric, then, yeah, you could maybe sell me on that. But, guys, what we're really talking about is a three-legged conference. Yeah, because I look. Here's the other thing: we we like because y'all are in Texas and I'm in the like traditional American South. We view distance um, on uh, horizontally. Mm-hmm. Out west, they view distance vertically. In other words, what I'm saying is like I already hear stuff from coaches who are like at Arizona or whatever, and they're like, "Oh God, we got to go all the way to Washington." They're not wrong. It's a long flight. It's just we don't think that way in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, what if like I mean. <laughs> If you could do this, and, I, and I'm not the kind of analytics person to, to propose this, but you would essentially have three clusters, right? You would, re, you would reunite Colorado with whoever comes over, and that's sort of a cluster plus Utah, right? But that's still a pretty big cluster in terms of square area. And then you have sort of the southwest corner of the map, the Arizonas, et cetera, all of the California schools, whatever. And then you kind of have the Pacific Northwest. If you can show me a way where that works, where you're not just crippling the schedule for these schools, maybe they formulate something that way, you know, maybe they tag in Boise as well or BYU. I just, I know for a fact that the PAC 12 has had any number of chances to expand with BYU specifically, which I should mention this. I really should mention this with regard to Baylor. Baylor might be in the worst situation Mm -hmm. because of the religious, uh, reputation yeah affiliation specifically like we've we've tried to clarify like tcu is a religion or a university that was founded by religious people baylor is a religious university tcu is methodist right uh uh disciples of christ Christ. yeah oh okay yeah so um so yeah oh wait sorry southern methodist southern methodist yeah right yeah there's there's my investigative reporting skills um (laughs) it's good good i'll I'll put it this way tcu is never conflated necessarily with a religious movement at the front door so to speak whereas baylor is 
BYU is, et cetera, et cetera. And because of that, I think um, TCU would not really have an issue there. Also, like, let's just not ignore the elephant in the room. What's going on at Baylor makes them not I, – I could not imagine a world in which Cal and Stanford and Oregon or whomever have an issue with BYU, but they don't with Baylor. Right, right. So, yeah. Godfrey, I want to ask you this, and uh, you, you kind of touched on it, and I don't know how much you can say about it or whatever, but – where there's smoke with this ESPN AAC thing, do you think there's fire? I I view it less as a smoke fire analogy and more just about like, like what's what, what kind of functional like like what is the likelihood of this? Who benefits from this situation? And then what does that look like? And I will say it does look, you know, is this something that makes sense? It definitely makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, the, the American has a strong position with ESPN, and obviously the SEC's relationship to ESPN is pretty obvious. So it makes sense. And it, it, it's not a crazy realignment rumor where you're like, well, that wouldn't even benefit you. No, it's like, no, this all makes uh, positive sense for ESPN if they were able to, to negotiate on all sides of that deal. So, mm-hmm. you know, do I know that it happened exactly that way? No. Um, but I also say this, they may be protected anyway. They may be able to skirt some of these rules and, and contracts mm-hmm. anyway. I mean, these things lean, lean in the favor of, of the aggressors in terms of the capitalist expansion. And that's, uh, you know, I, yeah. I have a tough time thinking ESPN is going to get caught at the end of the day, like a Scooby-Doo villain. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm anticipating in, in two to five years, an ESPN exec releasing a, if I did it book. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, and again, I think that, um, we, Grant and I have talked about like the asymmetry is really what's gross here. So like if everything in college football, all conference ties dissolve tomorrow and we restarted, obviously super league kind of things happening. The big players are getting rid of the small players. It's consolidating. Like we're fine with that. What, what just feels so icky and gross about this is there is the, you know, kind of backroom boardroom uh, asymmetric power kind of situation, which just makes it all kind of scummy, uh, which is a, a little bit disappointing. Um, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's how every meal gets served in this sport. I promise yeah. you. Absolutely. So, um, I know, yeah. I know that we're butting up against time Godfrey. So I just wanted to ask you real quick, uh, four playoff teams this year. Who do you, who do you, who do you want to, who do you want to oh, see man. most or who do you think is going to go? We oh, put everyone I mean, on the spot say, with yeah. This. I can give you all the super boring answers now. Who do I want to see most? Yeah. Give me the Iowa one. State. I want to see Iowa state beat everyone to death with a hammer. <laughs> I want to see, I want to see an entire undefeated season of 17 to 14 games where they just run all of that NFL nonsense on, on teams. That, and like when I did the Athlon rumor stuff, the overwhelming praise in this conference was heaped on Iowa state for their ability to play like an NFL team, meaning specifically that they play disciplined and tight and they're very comfortable in low scoring tight games. And you don't see them tense up, which is not something that's common in college football. I would love the Iowa state revenge tour. I mean, it could be any one of the, of the Husk of eight, but I think obviously they're the best sort of set up right now. Um, so yeah, let's throw Iowa state in there. Um, you know, I would love to see, uh, I am from Georgia. I am not a UGA alumnus or fan or anything, but, um, I would love to see Georgia back on a main stage. Cause it, it, it's usually like ice skating with, with C4, you know, like something just horrific is going to happen. So let's go Iowa state and Georgia. Um, there's certainly no reason for me to say Notre Dame. I do think the PAC 12 is long due. Um, everyone is like sort of stupidly, way over their skis about Washington right now. But I do think, I mean, Hey, all they need is a quarterback, but Oregon could, I think Oregon has all the things Washington is saying 
that they want to do with personnel and development and all this. That's what Oregon's been doing since Cristobal took over. So let's go Iowa State, Georgia, Oregon. This is who I want, by the way, not who I think. Um, and then uh, let's do North Carolina in an upset in the ACC oh, championship. Yeah, I like it. I'm very, yeah? I'm very into like this. Yeah. Um, just because of the madness of the of those, like the defensive coordinator from Army and the offensive coordinator who runs like the fastest offense in the country, um, and then you know a really good quarterback too. So and then you yeah. got Mac out there talking talking smack, and you know that'd be fun for Texas fans to see Mac take a team to the playoffs. So well, they're probably you know well they might seriously lose to Louisiana. So yeah, yeah, that that is a that's a great world. Chance, there's a chance Texas is like one and two to start the year, and it's extremely funny. Yeah, uh, we broke it. We so we got into it a little bit on our show. I can't remember which episode we did or if it was a patron show, but Richard is coming around to being convinced of like it, it has to do with O line play and D line play ultimately. But like Louisiana is smart enough and talented enough. But if I mean if they if the trenches could hold up, it's very possible. Especially yeah. look if Texas is just a little bit confused. This is a sport without a preseason. It's very possible. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, well, Godfrey, thanks so much for hopping on. I know, I know we've, uh, bumped up against time. And, and so we appreciate that. We appreciate some clarity. Um, people can find you on Twitter at 38 Godfrey, uh, split zone duo podcast and, and Patreon and check it out. Um, man, thanks so much for your time. Uh, be yep. well, and we'll talk again soon. I'm about to walk a broken string trimmer in to get fixed at Home Depot. <laughs> so I figured is that that wasn't the most on brand Texas, like, like scene I could give you guys. Uh, thank you for having me. I always love to come to DCU, so hopefully I will this season. Awesome. Thanks, man. Be well. Later, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Purple Theory podcast. You can find me on Twitter at StatsOWar, Grant on Twitter at Grant McGalliard, spelled like it sounds with all those vowels, and make sure you subscribe to the newsletter, purpletheory.substack.com.